continuing on our um, series, All I Want for Christmas. And um, I don't know about you, I think it's a thing as you get older, um, it's really hard to buy gifts or even harder when your children and your grandchildren ask you, what do you want for Christmas? And you've got to think of something that they can give you. It's interesting, isn't it, that we live in a culture where the giving of gifts and the receiving of gifts have become a very big part of what people think that Christmas is. And yet it's amazing how quickly, um, when we think about those physical gifts that are under the tree on Christmas morning, um, how quickly that that emotion moves on. And in our series on All I Want for Christmas, um, we're talking about some gifts which are much more impacting and long-lasting in terms of our life and journey. And these are the gifts that God gives us and especially at Christmas we remember some of these things. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about the gift of hope. Today we're talking about the gift of joy. Um, and then in future messages, the gift of love and peace and life. Um, these gifts are not just what we want on the surface, but they are the gifts that will meet our deepest needs and the very things that God offers to us and we remember particularly at Christmas time. Now, many of you probably wonder where we get the tradition of gift-giving at Christmas. And a lot of what we do at Christmas in our Western Australian culture um, was made um, common practice in the rule of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert um, in, in England. And so um, they introduced some of the traditions like the Christmas tree, like the, um, the decorations that people put up to celebrate Christmas. Um, they also introduced the idea of the Christmas dinner. Um, in Australia, we've got a variation on this, but over in England, it was like turkey and plum pudding and, and all those traditional Christmas things. But they actually didn't really introduce the idea of gift giving. They made it popular in their society. And so people, when they think about the tradition of gift giving, go back to a, a saint called Saint Nicholas who was known for his generosity and um, his, particularly his kindness of giving to children. And for many people, he became the patron saint of Christmas. But others go back even further to a passage that we're going to look at today, and that is the coming of the three magi, the three wise men, who came and visited the infant Jesus, bringing gifts. And so we're going to read the story of their visit and um, it's in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. Um, it'll be on the screen as well if you'd like to follow it there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is this Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Jerusalem and said, 
Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I might go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another way. We're going to have a look at this passage and and, and think about um, what we can learn from this account of the visit of the wise men. But before we do, I just want to make um, the point that so much of what we think of as Christmas is quite different from the reality of what happened. When we look at various um, Bible accounts and then we look at the popular depiction of what we do at Christmas, um, they're quite idealised and um, quite different in many ways. Um, It's it's a human nature thing. I, I heard the story of um, a Sunday school teacher with five-year-olds. Um, we've recently, our grandchildren have gone through that age. Have you ever noticed how five-year-olds know everything? They look at you, you know, my, my roll their eyes, say, oh, granddad, don't you know this, that or the other? They, they just, they're just very confident in what they know. And so this dear lady had a class of five-year-olds in a Sunday school class and it was coming up to Christmas And so she actually read the next part of the scripture after the visit of the wise men. We often call it the flight to Egypt. And this was the story about where um, an angel came to Joseph and warned Joseph that the life of the baby Jesus was in danger and that he was to take Mary and the baby Jesus and flee to Egypt so that Jesus' life could be preserved. And as you do in Sunday school, she said, now, we've read the story why don't you draw a picture depicting this story? And so the kids got there and they started drawing the picture and she was going around looking at them and she came to one very interesting picture. And she said to this little girl, Mary, um, that's a very interesting little picture you've got there. Do you want to explain it to me? And you've got to imagine on this picture, there was a picture of an aeroplane with three adults, a baby and a matchbox. And so she said, Mary, what's this about? Well, you said it was the flight to Egypt, and I, I, I realised that to catch a flight to Egypt, you had to have an aeroplane, so that's the aeroplane. And then she said, the teacher said, well, who are the three adults? And well, you know, there's Mary and Joseph, and you need a pilot, so I put Pontius Pilate in the picture as well to fly the aeroplane. And so the teacher said, oh, okay, I can understand that, sort of. And then the baby, oh, baby Jesus. But why is there a matchbox? And the little girl looked up and said, well, you read it yourself. The angel came to Joseph and said, take Mary, baby Jesus, and flee into Egypt. And everybody knows that you can't just take a flea unless you've got a matchbox to keep it in. It's funny, isn't it, how... Um, our, our mind can draw ideas from the words that are there. But when I was thinking about this, I thought we do pretty much the same with the Christmas event. And so if you think about a typical nativity set 
or um, a nativity play um, or pictures that we often have at Christmas, the picture of Jesus' birth in the stable often is something like this. Um, it's normally in a very hygienic stable with lovely fresh straw and no um, foul things in it, um, surrounded by extremely well-behaved animals that look like they've come from a petting zoo and just lay there dotingly looking up at the baby. Um, they have a group of shepherds kneeling at the baby at the manger and the three wise men standing in the background holding their gifts and wearing their crowns as though they were kings. And I just want to say that the passage that we read doesn't actually turn out to be that sort of picture. And so let's have a look at the picture of the passage that's really there. First of all, some of the things that are different to what that idealised picture is. Unlike the carol, we three kings of Orient are, the text doesn't actually tell us that the wise men were kings. It talks about them as being learned men or magi who studied the skies and stars at night. And so when something occurred in the heavens, in the skies, then in those times people thought that this was God proclaiming or demonstrating some significant event that happened in mankind's life. God was breaking into the ordered world in those days to show something was happening. And, and we read it in the Old Testament too, like in Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place... And so we're not talking about kings, really we're talking about learned men who studied the skies and who had observed something in the skies which indicated that something significant that happened in earth. The next thing we, want, we, we notice is this, we actually don't know how many wise men there were. How many wise men do you think there were? Three? Um, we talk about the three wise men, um, but there's nothing in the passage that tells us um, how many there were. And in fact, there's nothing in the passage that tells us what their names were either, even though in later tradition they became known as Melchior, Caspar and Balthazar. And so the text doesn't tell us how many came. Probably because three gifts are mentioned, People said, well, three gifts, maybe there's three people, but there's nothing there to say. And we don't know where they came from either. We know they came from the east, and it seems like a hard and challenging journey that they've been on, but we don't know how long they travelled to get there. And here's the third thing, and you probably noticed this, but the picture in these verses don't take place in a stable. When we were reading the passage, it says that um, they came to the house and they saw the child with his mother. And so we see here that this visit of the wise men probably took a considerable time after the actual birthday of Jesus. Um, there's no mention of Joseph there. There's no mention of shepherds. And it could well be, um, as you think about um, the birth of Jesus, that he could have been a toddler, um, an infant, 
And if we um, take the fact that King Herod, in his plot to, to kill Jesus, had to work out um, at what age children needed to be killed in order to wipe him out, it was children under two. And so we see here that um, it didn't take place in the stable. All right, so I hope I haven't disillusioned anybody, but it's just it's helpful when we read a text to understand what it's saying. And then it's interesting and helpful to think about what are the spiritual truths that are being shared with us through these words of Scripture. And I think there's about three of those as well. The first one is this, that the birth of Jesus was the fulfilment of God's promises to mankind to send a saviour. The Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew and one of the things that he does throughout his writings is to continue to go back to the Old Testament and you'll read time after time quotations from the Old Testament so that he can show that the coming of Jesus and what Jesus did and the ministry in his life were all those that were foretold by God before him. And when we read our passage earlier, the quotation about Jesus being born in Bethlehem was a quotation from the book of Micah and regarding the Messiah's birth. And so the first thing we know is that God always had a plan to save people and he is faithful to fulfil the promises that he has made. The second thing I want you to notice here, a spiritual truth, is that the birth of Jesus was not just for the Jewish nation, but it was for the whole world. And even though we go through the account of the Christmas story and it starts off with the birth of Jesus being announced to the shepherds out in the field in the Jewish context, um, even there, the announcement is that this birth of Jesus, Son of God, good news to mankind, was for the whole world. And so the announcement in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, to the shepherds said this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And so this idea that God had come was a blessing to the nations was part of the Christmas message and why we celebrate that so much today. The um, presence of the wise men were people who were quite outside of the Jewish culture and the Jewish nation, and yet it was important that we saw that the birth of Jesus impacted those people who were far away. The wise men said, we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. The wise men saw the, what in the sky communicated to them that the great king had been born. And their response to this was to come with humility, to pay homage to the great king, to honour him and to worship him. And the third thing that we see here is that the re, um, response to the birth of Jesus um, was different and the reaction that the different people had was different. So just as the good news of Jesus has met with different reactions today, so even at his birth, we see some of the different ways that people reacted. Um, the first one is King Herod. And his reaction is one of threat 
and of um, concern and rejection of who this king was. King Herod had a political kingship over Israel. It was supported by the um, Roman Empire and he was very suspicious of anybody who might rival his position or um, seek to take his power. And so when the wise men came to, Je to Herod and he met them with the civility of honoured guests, um, he was also deep down very worried about, um, about this threat, this possibility of the new king. And so his plan was this, to win over, if you like, the wise men, to get them to go and find Jesus and then to come back and report his location so that he could deal with the situation. Um, I remember taking um, one of my grandsons, sorry, my only grandson, to a Christmas presentation at a, a Baptist church and we went from stage to stage and we went into the court of King Herod and King Herod was standing there and he was saying, now, if you hear where the baby Jesus is, then you let me know to the wise men. And little Tyke says, don't tell them, don't tell them because he was worried that the baby Jesus was in danger. Even at his birth, there were some who rejected him. But in the passage we read, there were also those who were apathetic. That is, they, they sort of knew the details, but it didn't mean anything to them. The second group were the, the priests and the teachers of the law. Doesn't it strike you as interesting that King Herod could call out the priests and the teachers of the law and that they could actually quote verses and say, oh, it says in the scriptures that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And yet they did absolutely nothing to seek out the truth and the reality of that for themselves. You know, wouldn't you think that if they knew that the Messiah had possibly came, that they would want to check it out for themselves, to go and look for themselves? But there's nothing in here that indicates that they showed any interest in the birth of this newborn king. They didn't want to worship him for themselves. They, they just were apathetic. And then the third response was that of the wise men. The wise men who knew that this king had come and that their aim was to respond to him in honouring him and worshipping him. And as they left the court of Herod, um, they again saw the star. And so Herod couldn't tell them the location where Jesus was, but God was continuing to guide them by this star. And, and the joy wells up. It says that they were overjoyed. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Isn't that true today? This Christmas, like every other Christmas, there will be those who are against remembering anything to do with Jesus coming to this earth to be our saviour. Um, there are battles going on uh, all around the place, even things like carols and, and things like that. We were reading in the paper the other day um, a carols program where somebody wrote a scolding letter. We went to a carols night put on by a church in a school ground, the writer said, and we couldn't believe it because they kept telling us about Jesus and they preached a message and they did all these Christian things. And We are okay about having carols nights, but there should be no place in that for talking about Jesus. Some people are against 
the good news of the gospel. But you know, I think there is a great group of people who are apathetic. There'll be people who turn out today and enjoy it as a performance. They'll hear the words, but it won't sink in. They won't do anything about it. They'll go away and say, that was a nice event, and we'll come back next year, and that'll be another nice event. And so we live in a world where the birth of Jesus is... People can tell you the broad details, but it doesn't sink into their hearts and their minds. And yet there are those who can bow their knee who acknowledged that Jesus truly was God's son who came to die for us. Last part of what I want to say today is about the the gifts, the giving of gifts. It's the title of our series, isn't it? All I Want for Christmas. When the wise men came to Mary and the child, their first reaction wasn't to give gifts. It tells us clearly their first reaction was to bow down and worship. And then they brought out some gifts that they had brought to present to this newborn infant. Um, In most texts, we talk about them as being gold, um, frankincense, a sort of an incense, and myrrh. And they are obviously gifts of great worth. A number of people suggest that they actually were symbolic gifts of who Jesus was. Gold was the gift that was usually given to royalty, to a great king, and symbolised that Jesus was born as king. Um, His identity was king not only of the Jews, but king of the world. The incense or the frankincense was a gift that was more associated with um, priests. And the job of priests in those days was to be a go-between between mankind and God. And so this was Jesus' calling too, that he came so that we might know God, that he might be our link. And the New Testament even talks about him as being our great high priest, the one who is going to connect us with God. And then the substance of myrrh was associated with burials. It was a, a, um, a, a thing that was used to embalm the dead. And here we see even in this gift the the recognition that Jesus' life also involves sacrifice and points to his death. The gifts were given. They were of great value. But there's another gift here, the gift that God gives to us, the gift um, of joy that we're talking about today. And the gift that the wise men took away with them um, was much greater than the gift of which they gave to Jesus, that overwhelming sense of joy. So today we want to be celebrating God's gift of joy. God who loves us so much that he wants to reach out and reconcile us with himself, that we can be part of his adopted family. Biblical perspective of joy. What's the Bible say about joy? Well, I don't think it's that fleeting moment of happiness when I open up a present and think I really wanted that. I think biblical joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of our hope in God's love and his promises. The joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny, which is promised by God. It should be no wonder that Jesus' birth was announced as an event of great joy. 
because it talked about God's faithfulness. It talked about God's love. It talked about the destiny that we can have in our relationship with God. It's no wonder that the angel said to the shepherds, don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. And this Christmas, when we think about all that we might want for Christmas, we need the gift of joy. In struggling times, in difficult times personally, in our global events, um, we still have hope, and that's what Christmas is about, our hope in God that his love for us doesn't cease. He's faithful in fulfilling his promises. And if we can grasp God's gift of joy, then we will be um, blessed eternally through that. One of our challenges this Christmas is to distinguish between short-term joy and accepting the real joy that comes from knowing who God is. And so I'm going to invite the the band to come up and share with us um, this next song. So if you'd like to come up and um, lead us in this next song. Um, It's a song that you'll recognise. It's a song that talks about um, the joy that God gives us. And I want us to use this song to accept and to grasp God's gift of his joy to us. Um, It's a carol. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And so as we stand and as we sing, don't just go through the motions of the words, but sing it as a prayer that God will fill us with his joy as we recognise his great gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.